Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad to have you with me this morning. And once again, I'm looking forward to sharing with you some things from God's Word, some things from Scripture, some things not from Scripture that you may question. I don't know if that's scriptural or not. Well, you just weigh it out and see what the Spirit of Truth is telling you this morning. Basically, we're going to do some foundational stuff today. I'm in a little series called uh, Let's Believe It. And what I've done basically is stop the bus uh, from diving deep into some of the things we were talking about, the manifestation of the sons of God, the restoration of all things, uh, just a, a lot of good things we were getting into. Uh, but I felt like, you know, I, I need to slow it down just a little bit. I don't want to get too far ahead of the curve. I've learned from experience that what I need to do is to be out front, but I don't need to be out front so far that I lose people or bring confusion. So. I thought I'm just going to slow down because every week we have new viewers here at the Digital Cathedral and um, like my brother up in Michigan told me, he said, the best way that I learn is by repetition and a little bit at a time. So it never hurts to stop. So we're just going to what I call stop the bus and I'm going to do probably 10, 11, 12 weeks. I don't know. I may intersperse some other teachings in. But essentially, I want to go over some of the things that we have learned over the last years that have brought us up to the point where we are today. You know, when I came, when I came out of pastoring a church that met in a building, which was in June of 2018, I had a very firm vision of what I wanted to do, and I'm doing it. This is the great part of, of living life where I'm at right now. I can kind of do what I want to do, so I'm fulfilling the plan and the purpose that I feel God has for me at this point this present time. And what I wanted to do when I no longer pastored in a, in a building, and I could have continued on, you know, in a building and like I had done for 50 years, but I had a vision to be part of an, of an international digital community of people whose eyes were opening to a, a bigger, more beautiful gospel than they had ever heard in church before. I wanted, to, I wanted to connect with people all over the world that were beginning to see a God that was a good, good father, far better than anything they had ever heard in their entire life. And I wanted, I wanted to be with people that were seeing Jesus with this inclusive love that set the bar to love everybody equally the same and include all in the plan that God had through Jesus and Jesus accomplished when he said, it is finished. And people that knew nobody after the flesh. So there were some definite things that I wanted to accomplish. So I began to do that. And as a result, the digital cathedral began to gather. And right now during the week, I guess we're, we're probably ministering to about uh, 1,800, maybe 2,000 people. As people that are tuned in during the week or catch what we're teaching. So the Digital Cathedral is growing, it's expanding, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that and you're, you're part of it. So I'm spending a few weeks to stop the bus to review the truths that have gotten us to this level of understanding that we're traveling at today to help you catch up if you're new to break some of this into you. And if you've been with me since the beginning back in 2018 when we launched the Digital Cathedral, Whenever we go back over the basics, you always see it in a deeper light. The Spirit of Truth always unveils and reveals, so it's never wasted. So don't, don't think you can just bomb out on me for several weeks till I get back doing what I was doing before. Let this, let this stuff sink in. Let the Spirit of Truth take it down another notch. I don't believe that you can ever exhaust basic scriptures, basic ideas, basic principles. So. I'm just in awe of what God is doing in the earth today. I, I'm, I'm just blown away. The light's coming on. People are awakening by the multitudes. Uh, church attendance, and I'm not against people gathering together, but what I am opposed to is the system of religion that held us in check, filled us with fear, uh, kept us stagnant without growing, and I'm, I'm blown away by the number of people that are coming out of religion um, and are getting set free. Religion's fading. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Uh, it's not COVID that has caused it. It's the Spirit of God. Church attendance is the lowest that it's been uh, in recorded history. 
church attendance is down, people are looking, people are spiritual, people are hungry, people are looking. So the things we're doing at the Digital Cathedral, and I, I, that's probably one reason I've stopped the bus, is to just say, okay guys, here it is, here's the bone. In case you've missed it, in case you're brand new, in case you wanna bring friends in to what you understand, this is a good opportunity to do it. Because people are dropping labels. People are dropping labels, and there's a sense of unity that is inspired by love and people now are beginning to assimilate they're beginning to gather around like the digital cathedral and this isn't the only show in town that's for sure there are a lot of other good ones but people are beginning to gather around love and not a doctrine <clears throat> so as we build this grace culture this grace community i think that we can build around five basic pillars <clears throat> and we're going to talk about those pillars i opened it up last week and i talked about uh, the whole foundation, the foundation, everything to do is grace. And we defined that grace last week. And I said, let's all believe this definition of grace. Let's all grab this as a foundation. So last, last week I said, let's, let's all believe, let's all agree that grace is the unconditional love of God through which he embraces all of us and he brings us into his very life. So let me run that definition by here's, there are other, a lot of good definitions of grace. I've probably got seven or eight that I really like, but I think this one is very inclusive and, and it explains what I want to talk about today, which is the nature of God, what God is really like. So grace is the unconditional love of God through which he embraces us and he brings us into his very life. The most foundational pillar to a grace culture that we need to believe, that we need to agree on, is a right perception of God. And there's probably no perception um, throughout history that has been more contorted, more diluted than what God is really like. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But God has shown, I think the right picture of God is shown in this definition of grace that we just laid out. There's three little parts to this, to this definition of grace. First of all, it's unconditional love. That's what God is. He's unconditional love. No hoops, no laws, no rules, no regulations. It's not fair. Uh, he rewards the guy in the parable that Jesus talked about that showed up at five o'clock. He gave him the same wage, the same reward as the guy that worked all day. And you say, well, that's not fair. Grace is not fair. That's why religion has problems with it. That's why religion puts, puts stipulations on grace. Grace is an unconditional love, first of all, through which God, number two, embraces us. God's very inclusive. He embraces us all. He has, he has some children uh, that stick with him and some children that are down in the pig pen, but they're all his children. He embraces them all. He shows no favorites. And the third part of that definition says that he brings us into his life so that we can enjoy the abundant life that Jesus said uh, belongs to us. So everything we believe centers around how we see God. Such an important, such an important pillar that we need to build, build on. I like what Jesus said over in John chapter 17 and verse 3. When Jesus began to, to pray, he said this. He said, this is life eternal. You want to know how to get eternal life? It's not praying a prayer. No mention of a prayer. No mention of accepting Jesus. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. So you want to enjoy eternal life, the abundant life. There's two things we need to hit here. One is to, get, to have eternal life, to enjoy it, we need to know God and Jesus, the the Jesus that the true God, it calls him the true God, sent. So I, I, I really like that verse. And I think what he's saying in that verse is that every area of your, of your life is touched by how you visualize and how you see God in your mind. So if we get this one wrong, he said the true God. And, um, you know, that's a discovery. That's a journey. That's a, that's a continual, that's a continual progressive growing pattern that that we discover as we go. You know, I used to think I knew the true God and I knew part of him. Now I think I know him a little bit better and I, my, my perception of who he is and what he is has expanded. And I would assume that probably two years, five years from now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an atheist to the God that I see now because my understanding is gonna grow. Your understanding is gonna grow. Let's keep it flexible. Let's keep it, let's keep that wine skin where as he pours new wine in, we're able to expand, we're able to grow with it. So every area of our life is, is, 
is um, affected by how we see God, every area of life. So if we get this one wrong, if we don't see him right, it messes up, first of all, how we see ourselves. And second of all, how we see other people. And if we get the view of, of the Father wrong, it, it distorts how we see life itself. So I think it's fair to ask ourselves this morning, and maybe you just think about it during the week, what has influenced, what has influenced how you, how you perceive the Father? What has been the greatest influence? Has it been church? Has it been what people have told you? Uh, how, how, do you, how, do you um, how do you perceive the Father? And what source has influenced that perception? This first pillar affects our attitudes big time. This first pillar affects our actions more than anything else. So what I'd like for us at the Digital Cathedral, and I'm going to take two weeks on this one. I'm going to be a little bit theological this morning. Next week, I'm going to be very practical and bring it right down in the trenches uh, of how the Father works and how we need to perceive Him on a daily basis. But let me be just a little bit theological this morning so you can maybe grow and expand a little bit. So here's an area that we need to agree on. We need to, to believe it somewhat the same if we're going to build a grace community. Now, again, let me say, some of, some of us are going to grow faster than others and your perception of God is going to get larger and larger and larger. And you may look back at others that are still feeling their way along and either get frustrated or try to correct them. Don't do that. Let the spirit of truth continue to grow us at the rate that we can grow. So if you have, for example, here's how it affects us. This, this is a contrast. If you believe in a God that despises those that oppose him, if you, if you serve a God that sees people as infidels, that's what caused the death of thousands of people on September 11th, 2001. Those people were serving a God that they thought despised those that opposed him and they were infidels. Now that sounds a little bit strong, but I'll tell you what, you get into a fundamentalist church today and they're going to see God somewhat the same. They're going to see God as one who despises certain people groups, certain practices of people, sees them as lost, undone, headed for hell, and it's going to cause people to not be drawn to the Father. So it's the same effect, the same effect as what the Muslims believed in 2001 that created uh, havoc in the United States. Now contrast that with the belief in a God that loves and includes everybody, including the lowest and the least. That causes that person to give their life living among the lepers in Calcutta, where Mother Teresa loved them in practical ways that made a difference. So do you see the two contrasting views of God? One sees those that, are, that don't believe in God like they do as infidels, worthy of death, eternal separation from God, burning in hell. The other one sees God as inclusive, loving the lowest and the least, that one sees God as one who is busy actively doing practical things that demonstrates the love of God. While we're in John, let me read John chapter 15 and verse 3. John 15 verse 3 says this. John chapter 15, I'm sorry, John 15 verse 13. He says, Greater love has no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the character of God right there. That's that's Jesus in action. I want to talk a lot more about that next week when we talk about the practicals. But this, is, this begins to show us, theologically at least, how we need to perceive the Father. Greater love has no man than this, than that he lay his life down for his friends. Not that he kill them. Not that he speak ugly of them. Here's what I'm trying to say in the, in the little introduction this morning. Make no mistake about it. How you see the Father, how you see God, is going to determine how you see other people. It's going to determine how you see yourself, how you live your life. You will either, you will either consciously or unconsciously, listen, you either consciously or unconsciously see people the way that you think God sees them. That's why the fundamentalists have, have a problem, let me just be honest, 
That's why they have a problem with the gay community. They think God hates gays. They think God excludes gays. They think God is opposed to gays. And so that's how, that's how they see gays, but also that's how they see God. The point is this, you're going to mimic and you're going to have the attitude of the God that you serve. Paul said in Ephesians 5.1, he said, Be therefore imitators of God as dear children. The word imitator there is the Greek word, we get the word mimic. He's saying mimic God as dear children, just like children mimic their father. You watch small children, if their dad walks around with a tool belt, they're going to want a tool belt. If their dad is active in sports, they're going to want to become an athlete. He said, be, be imitators, be mimics of God as dear children. And while we're in that 15th, while we're in that 15th chapter of, uh, of John, I read verse 13, but let me read verse 12. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Now here's what we're to mimic. This is theologically sound. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. All right, so let, let me just stop right here. If you have a faulty view of how he loves you, if you think he loves you conditionally, he loves you if you're obedient, loves you if you uh, sacrifice, he loves you if you don't rebel, then that's, that's how you're going to love other people. If they see things like you see it, if they if they're walking consistently with you, but if they cross you, if they don't if they don't believe it like you believe it, then all of a sudden your love for them is going to diminish. Christians, when we talk about right right view of God, see if this isn't true. First thing that comes to our mind instinctively is to go to the Bible. If we want a correct view of God, this is the learned behavior that we automatically go to Scripture. We go to the Bible to learn anything, to check anything out. You hear a teaching, and what have we been groomed to do? Take it to the Bible. And when you do that, you're measuring it by your understanding of the Bible. Maybe not what the Bible really says. Your understanding, what you've been taught the Bible says. To get a right view of God, you go to the Bible. I understand it. That's the instinct. But let me shoot you straight this morning. That may not give you a clear answer. Because in speaking of the God of the Bible, you can cobble together, and that's why we have 40,000 denominations today that all say they serve God, all say they love God, all say they're biblically based, is because they have gone to the Bible and they have cobbled together verses. And what we're saying is, when we go to the Bible, what we're looking for is an affirmation of what we have been taught. And we don't separate covenants. We don't separate, we don't understand or, or make a difference in who he's speaking to. Make no distinction. I did a series called Unhook the Book. And it was, I did it, I guess, I don't know, five years ago or so. You may want to go look at that, and I'm not going to get into it. But when, when you go to the Bible and you look at it through the lens of what you've always been taught, you're going to find what you're looking for. If, if you want a God of peace, you're going to find him in the Bible. If you want a God of war, you're going to find him in the Bible. If you want a, if you want a God of compassion, he's there. If you want a God that's vindictive, you can find him. Sometimes the Bible... <laughs> Sometimes the Bible reveals more about the reader than it does the Father. It tells us what we're looking for. It's hard to put ourselves in neutral gear and read it under the direction of the Spirit of Truth and let the Spirit of Truth interpret it for us. We want, to go to, we want the Spirit of Truth to speak to us and go to the Bible to confirm what the Spirit of Truth is saying. It doesn't work that way. Honestly, honestly, there seems to be as many versions of God as there are people that's that's call themselves Christians. <laughs> There's a really an example that's kind of humorous when I think about it. John Wesley, who was a Methodist, who really brought Armenianism to the forefront. Armenianism is the belief that most of us grew up in, especially if you're Pentecostal or holiness or fundamentalist, that says that God loves everybody but he's powerless to save everybody. It's up to you to save yourself by praying the prayer and accepting Jesus into your heart. He, Armenianism and Wesley basically says God offers salvation to you, but you have to receive it. John Wesley said that, that the God of John Calvin, 
was worse than the devil. John Calvin, Calvinism says that God doesn't love everybody the same, but in fact, he has predestined some to heaven and some to hell. So John Wesley looked at John Calvin and said, your God is worse than the devil. Now here's the, here's the amazing thing. Both John Wesley and John Calvin said that what they believed was based solely on scripture. That scripture was the absolute authority for their conception of God. And yet here's two absolute opposing views of what the father's like. One loves, loves everybody, but is powerless to save them. The other one does not love everybody, but the ones that he loves, he's going to save them no matter what. I'd like to think that we all serve the same father, but that's not the case. That's far from being the case. Sometimes I wonder if we don't have these two opposing forces, Arminianism and Calvinism, which have been the predominant theological positions of people that are in the United States of America and pretty much the Western church, if those two positions are not, you know, they're juxtaposed to one another and they're always fighting for supremacy. They fight one another like crazy. Paul ran into it. Paul ran into this variance of how people saw God. In Galatians chapter one, every church Paul went into, he had to, he had to do what I'm doing right now at the Digital Cathedral. He had to stop the bus, come back and reaffirm the things that he taught that laid the foundation down. Look, look what uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter one and verse six. Let me read verse six, seven, and eight. He said, I marvel. I marvel, Galatians, that you are turning away so soon from him that called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Wesley looked at Calvin, say, you got a different gospel. Calvin looked at Wesley, say, you got a different gospel. He said, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. I'm telling you, we have so many perversions of the basic, simplistic gospel of grace that Paul taught that we defined last week as being the unconditional love of God through which he embraces us and brings us into his very life. That's all him. It has nothing to do with us. That's all his work. Verse, verse 8, he said, But if I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul said, I don't want you to move off this gospel of grace. See, God never changes. The gospel never changes. What changes is our perception, our understanding. What changes is the light that we have, the light that we receive. That's, you know, when I look back, I, I said just a couple of minutes ago when I, that the God that I'm going to serve five years from now, I'm probably an atheist to the God that I'm serving today because my, my understanding grows, my perception changes, it enlarges. So when I, when I look back, 10 years, I'm virtually serving a different God. That's the way that it should be. See, many people still carry this Adamic idea that, of, of God that Adam had. They create a God in their mind and they serve a God in their mind. Adam created a God in his mind that was mad. He disobeyed and he thought God was mad. Ever, had, ever heard people say, I can't go to church. If I go to church, the roof will fall in. See, they've created a God that's angry. They've created a God that's mad. Honestly, I don't get to fashion the God of my choosing. I don't get to choose a God that demonstrates independently of, of what other people think. If we, we all need to have, man, if I could just get this throughout the digital cathedral and everybody around the world that we're touching, if I could just get people to settle in and have a revelation for themselves of what the Father is like, my goodness, Love would begin to explode. Change would take place in our culture. I want to recommend something to you this morning. If you want to discover what the Father is really like, I'm going to suggest that you only look to one source, and that's Jesus. Don't look to Isaiah. Don't look to Jeremiah. Don't look to Moses. Don't look to Ezekiel. If you want to know what the Father's like, you look to one person. You look to Jesus and focus on the picture that Jesus presents of the Father throughout the Gospels. Now, let me make that legal for you. Let me take you to Scripture. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Here we go. 
Now we're going to start to get into some stuff. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. He's, he's, he's laying it right out here. So Philip says, I don't get it, man. Show us the Father. It'll be sufficient for us. Jesus said, verse 9, chapter 14 of John. Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? That is the testimony of the incarnate word himself. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus right there adjusted for all time perception of what the Father is like. And he, and he goes on and says in verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak of my own authority, but the one who dwells in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. So let me put it like this. What if God is exactly like Jesus? What if God is not like they told you down at, the, down at the evangelical church? What if he's not mad? What if he's not vindictive? What if he's not punitive? What if Jesus wasn't lying to us? <laughs> what if the Father really is like Jesus? Identical personality, identical attitudes, identical claim that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What if that's true? What if that's true? For most of us, that would be good news, really good news. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's no variance between Jesus and the Father. Let me give you some more here. John chapter 10 verse 30. I know for some of you this is old hat, but for some of you this is revelatory. Because you've had this conception of the Father that has been so drilled, so ingrained in you, that it's in your psyche and it's hard for you to think that one day he's not going to stand you up in front of him and, and, and read you the, the riot act and get out the books and look down a book and see if your name is in the book of life. Man, that is, so, that is such a perversion. That this will this, change your life today if you'll let it sink in. All right, let me give you a little bit more. What, what if Jesus is just like the Father? Seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip goes, show us the Father, it will suffice it, be sufficient for us. Jesus said, Philip, if I've been walking around with you for three and a half years and you're still saying, show us the Father, he said, if you don't believe the words that I'm speaking, believe the works, the fruit. John chapter 10 and verse 30. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hands. Then he says in verse 30, I and the Father, listen, I and the Father are one. Now that, that's what you're growing into to where you're able to declare, I and the Father am one. But you'll never get, you'll never be able to have confidence in that union with the Father till you really know who he is. You understand, you let, it, you let it drop into your life. You let it sink deep into your heart. You, you begin to embrace it until you can't be talked out of it. Verse 33, the Jews answered him and said, For good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man have made yourself God. All right, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And let me read just the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Let, let me get over there. I'm, I'm sorry that I take time to read Scripture every week, but I think it's very important because we've been so groomed to feel like we have to have Scripture to back it up. I call that being legal, okay? That's, that's being legal about this, and I don't mean legalistic. I mean, it's just in, impressing you with your, your way of doing things uh, that you're accustomed to that shows that what I'm telling you is true. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, God who at sundry times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. 
He has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Oh, I could spend all day on that on that second verse. He made Jesus heir of all things. Then he brings you right up alongside. I said he embraces you and brings you into his life. He made Jesus heir of all things. Now listen. And he made you a joint heir with Jesus. Now watch what he says about Jesus. Verse 3 who being the brightness of his glory, the Father's glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, whom he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now notice what he says about Jesus. He is the brightness of the glory of the Father. That's good. And he says he is the express image, the absolute express image of his person. So the full, the full, accurate revelation of the Father cannot be contained in a book. All the pages in this book could not give us the accurate representation, yet it's contained in the life of Jesus. The book said, your book says that he is the express image of the Father. Paul said it like this, Colossians chapter 2, verse, verse 8. He said, in Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Think about that. In that one man's body, he, he had the fullness, the completeness of the Godhead. I'm not going to get into it, but in verse 9, he, he, he blows your mind. See, I get pushback on this, but he blows your mind. Verse 8, in Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And verse 9, you're complete in this one. You are in one with this one in whom the, the, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. I'll tell you what, that, that puts your mind on tilt. What did Jesus reveal about the Father? Jesus revealed that the Father is love, that God is love. He revealed to us that, that he did not come to change the Father's mind about us. He came, in fact, to change our mind about God because we had such a contorted, off-centered view of God. Jesus didn't come, let me say it again, to convince the Father to change his mind about us. He came to show us what the Father was actually really like. Because throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament essentially is man's conception of God. They were writing, bless their hearts, they were writing with all the revelation they had. They were writing as well as they could see it. The Old Testament is man's understanding of God. In the New Testament, Jesus comes to show us God's understanding of man. Jesus comes to show us how God sees us. And Paul put theology to it. Paul put boots on the ground to it. Paul, Paul walked it out in, in daily life by showing what sons of God are really all about. So God, God's mind, here, here's the bottom line on it. God's mind was already made up about us. When God stood us up, created us, blew life into our nostrils, he looked at it and said, this is very good. There's not one verse of scripture, not one verse of scripture, check it out, that God ever changed his mind about man from the very good. He never, he never said, you are a depraved, messed up, jacked up, edemic natured individual that's headed down the wrong path. He, he never changed his mind about us. But we sure changed our mind about him. So today we're coming full circle. We're beginning to change our mind about him as we see his life reflected in Jesus. So the, the, the good news, the good news is this. The good news has been buried. I should say it like this. The good news has been buried under centuries of misconstrued Christianity and faulty ideas about a true father that is far more beautiful, far better, than they ever taught us, than they ever, than they ever drilled into me when I went to school. He's better than anything we ever thought possible. Our minds could not conceive it. So as we get revelation of how Jesus is, we get good revelation of how the Father is. The very nature of the Father is love. And it's revealed in the book. It's, your book shows what the Father is like through the life of Jesus. So make no mistake about it, God is love. And being a God of love, he did not crucify Jesus. God did not crucify Jesus. 
Let me say it again. God did not crucify Jesus. Men crucified Jesus. It was the anger of man that put Jesus on the cross. It was the fear that religion had that put Jesus on the cross. The Father loved the Son. The Father walked with the Son through every step of the process of going to the cross, going through the garden, going through the beating, the, 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 the lashes on the back. The Father was with the Son the entire time. The Father did not, the Father did not kill Jesus. Can you, do you understand what a perverted view that is? How, what kind of a father, if God is love, what kind of a father would take an innocent son and beat the, beat the crap out of him instead of what he saw as the guilty son? Would you do that with your children? If, if one of your children had done something so horrendous that it was beyond, beyond your mind to even think about it, and you had another son that was perfect, always, sir, always with you, would you, would you go to that innocent son and say, look, you know, I, I, I don't want to beat your brother, so I'm just going to, but I'm mad. I'm angry about what your brother's done. I'm, 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 really, I'm really pissed off about this, so I'm just going to beat the kajabbers out of you instead of him. We'd put that guy in jail. We'd call him a child abuser. And for many, the perception of the father has been a child abuser because we have not seen him through the lens of the son who said, I've come to show you exactly what he's like. Now, we've skipped over scripture that says man crucified Jesus, so just let me walk you through a couple. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. And it really, it really irritated the Jews when this was brought to their attention. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 says this. Acts chapter 2 verse 23. It says that he was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God and you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death Jesus. You have taken by lawless hands and you have crucified Jesus. All right. Verse 36, same chapter. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Let all the house of Israel know, the Jews, that you have crucified Jesus and he has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. All right? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. All right, one more. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. He, I mean, they just put it on the Jews. They just let them know, hey, you did this thing. God did not do this. It, it's called penal, um, penal substitution theory of atonement, where God beats the crap out of Jesus instead of you. Takes all his anger and vengeance that he's an angry God. He's got to be appeased. That's, that's not what happened. It was the absolute full demonstration of love that Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. He gave his life up. No one took it from him. They crucified him, hung him on a tree, but he gave his life up. All right, one more verse. I got to move on. 410. Let it be known to you all and for all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. So, it, it was the angry wrath of man. I want you to get that down because this affects your view of God. This affects how you see the Father. The Father was with Jesus in him the entire time. You cannot separate the Father from the Son. You, you, you cannot set the, separate the character. You cannot separate their attitudes. You cannot separate their demeanor. Scripture says clearly that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was in Jesus the entire time. Now, some of you might be new to the digital cathedral or saying, well, what about when Jesus spoke on a cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was, he was a good Jewish boy. Jesus knew Psalm 22 by heart, and that's the first, that's, that's recorded in Psalm 22. But the psalm goes on to say, you've not forsaken me, not turned your face from me. You have been with me. You have been with me. 
So today the grace of God is taking and he's pulling the curtain back. The spirit of truth is opening up the curtain and he's showing us a new unveiling of how the father really is. Paul had it right in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when he said, We all with an open face, no veil over our face, we all with an open face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're seeing the Father like he really is. We're seeing the, the full picture. And he says we're being changed into the same image from glory to glory. So it's imperative. It's so important that we see the Father right because you will be changed into the image of the God that you serve. This is not a new way. This is really the old way. This is the Jesus way. What God is doing, he's taking this old stony heart out of us that religion beat into us, that covered over the goodness and the love of the Father that Jesus unveiled, and he's taking his heart and placing it within us. Actually, his heart is already within us. He's, what he's doing, he's taking all the rubbish off of it. He's taking all the religiosity, all the crap, all the junk that you learned over the years about how the Father was and it was perverted, it was wrong. And now that we're seeing that it's only through the lens of Jesus, seeing the Father through that lens that gives us the right perspective. And we're, we've moved away from this. Some of us have moved so far away from us that even this morning when I'm teaching this, just the concept of a threatening, judgmental, condemning father that I learned about in my childhood, it just seems ridiculous. Um, it, the further you move away from it, the more insane it seems. The, the concept of eternal conscious torment, the more I move, the, the farther I distance myself and the more that time goes by, just that whole perverted idea that a God of love would say, I'm going to torture you and burn you forever if you don't love me back. That's how much I love you. Now it's your choice. See, that's Wesley. It's your choice. Now Calvin would say, well, God gets glory from burning you because you weren't one of the chosen. That's a, that thing is such a perversion. Jesus, ne Jesus never told one, you find one prostitute, one tax collector, one thief, that he ever said, you're going to burn in hell if you don't turn your ways around. If you don't accept me into your heart and you don't pray this prayer and receive me, you're going to be tormented in hell to the glory of God because that's how God is. You'll never find it. Can I tell you this morning, you are free to pitch that theology as far as the East is from the West. That theology of an angry, retributive deity that came out of the sea of paganism, throw it back into the sea of paganism. Do a little bit of study on your own. Do a little bit of history research where all that junk came from. God has not ever changed. Nor has the revelation of his character ever changed that we see in the life of Jesus. It's never changed. And we're moving on. We're beginning to see it. We're beginning to integrate it into our life. We have, be, we have come to a place now here at the Digital Cathedral where we are embracing a father and son as one that have been revealed to us. And the beautiful part of this revelation is now they are embracing you into that very life, into that circle, that circle of acceptance. They're not holding you back to judge you, to condemn you, to belittle you, to, to put condemnation into your life, to tell you that you're not measuring up. Through grace, the unconditional love of God that has been given to us, that has embraced us and brought us into his life, that's the Father that Jesus showed us. So setting Jesus... At the beginning of this teaching, I said I would suggest you take one lens to see the Father through that, through the lens of Jesus. Setting Jesus as the standard, setting Jesus as the right perception of the Father, I'm going to tell you what, it's going to cause you to revisit some of the junk that has been ingrained into your psyche. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to challenge you to go back and to look at some of the beliefs that you have held, some of you for 30, 40, 50 years. Some, some, some of, of those entrenched beliefs have a, have, a, have a father, have a God that's nothing like Jesus. Nothing like him at all. The father through the son 
proves that this love that he reflected to us is victorious, especially in the resurrection. The resurrection is the stamp of approval on this Jesus that showed us the Father. It shows he was victorious. So much so that here's what Paul said. Paul said, this is my choice. Paul said, I choose nothing except to know Christ and him crucified. That's the only thing I want to know. That's all I want to know. And you know what? That's the cry of my heart today. Because I understand that as I know him better, as I see what all this uncovers, what Christ and him crucified, what that all means, the depths of the revelation of that, there are people walking in gray circles today that when you begin to hit the depth of Christ and him crucified, they're not going to like it. It's not going to bring Christ down. It's not going to bring the Father down. But it's going to take you to a position that you've never envisioned before. That's what this whole thing about. Listen, listen. You can resist him. You can mock him. You can spit on him. You can beat him. You can kill him. And he will still look at you and say, Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. He will love you with an everlasting love that is very inclusive. He will embrace you and pull you into his very life. My father, through Christ, proved that God on his worst day is better than what religion taught me he was on his best day. <laughs> you know why? Because he operates by overcoming love. He doesn't operate by over, overwhelming power. He knows that love never fails. Isn't that what he told us? He told us that Jesus is the perfect presentation of the Father. And he has shown that to be true in all areas. So this morning, let's believe this. Here's what we're going to do. Let me just bring this down to four or five things and I'm done. Let's all embrace the fact that God is good and he's never evil. I have to stop right there. I wasn't going to stop, but I got to stop. I need to show you from scripture about that. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Because some of you have an idea that God does bad stuff, that it's his fault, that he's so in control that all the junk comes from him. Look what it says here. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let us not say when we are tempted that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. But everyone is tempted when he's drawn away of his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The wages of sin is death, not the punishment of God. Sin carries its own judgment. Sin carries its own kickback. And de death doesn't mean hell. Death, death doesn't mean you're going to hell. Death means that you're disconnected from eternal life. You're, you're disconnected from the abundant life. You're not living to the full extent that Jesus said you can live. See, that's, what, that's why he wanted to show us the Father, because the, Father, the, the depth of the Father's love is to embrace you and to bring you into his life. And what happens is when we go our own way, when we don't allow Jesus to be the guide to show us, when the Spirit of Truth is not speaking clearly, we, we reject it, our conscience becomes seared, and we do our own thing. It, separ it separates us in our thinking, in our actions, not in our spirit. Don't be deceived, my delivered brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. All right? So God is good. Let's just, let's all believe that. Let's just, our, our foundation is grace. The unconditional love of God that embraces us and brings us into his life. That foundation, we're putting a pillar down. To build, we're going to build a grace community. We're building a grace culture. And the first thing we have to build is this pillar of love. So God is good. He's never evil. God is love. Let's, let's all accept it. Let's all agree. Let's believe it. And every aspect of him must align itself with this unfailing love, this character that is his. It cannot, he cannot go outside of his character, which is love. All right. let's, let's all agree that God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. Let's all believe and let's all embrace and let's all agree this morning that God is perfect beauty and there's no ugliness in him whatsoever. Let's all agree, let's all embrace, let's all accept this morning that God is truth and there is no lie. You cannot call him a liar. Let's all believe, let's all accept, let's all agree this morning that God is perfect justice and in him is no injustice. Now let me, I should take a whole teaching on justice because justice is, 
The word justice does not mean punishment, doesn't mean you get an eye for an eye. Justice involves reconciliation. The word justice basically means to set things right. So let me say this in conclusion. We all need to have an experience with this father. We all need to understand this father that has authored the good news through the son that is void of any bad news. We need a fresh emphasis on a God that is full of mercy, whose mercy endures forever, and he's full of hospitality. Always was love. Always was love. He is not, he has no part of eternal punishment within him. That is totally foreign to any of his character. A God that loves us, embraces us, gives us his life when we're still a mess, still jacked up, still out doing crazy stuff. He still loves us, embraces us, and gives us his life. Who sees us just like we are and heals us and hugs us and embraces us and receives us. At last, we're finally learning what Paul knew the whole time. What is it, Romans 10, 4? That it's the goodness, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the threat of punishment. All right, that's a little bit of theology this morning. The theology of God. Theology is the study of God. Theo-Godology study of that. That brings you into a good study. Now, next Sunday morning, I want to take this and we're going to, we're going to finish this pillar on seeing God properly. And I want to get real practical. I want to bring it right down in the streets where we live. So you don't want to miss that. It's a good time to bring a friend. Have them to join and be part of the digital cathedral. All right, I'm done. See you Wednesday night at the secret place. And let me, let me always remind you, I love you. God loves you. You're living, you're living the dream, brother. You're living the abundant life that God has planned for you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for praying for me, for contributing, for helping me to sustain this ministry and carry it forward. I look forward to our next time together, 10 a.m. Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. Salute and God bless.